welcome back to our podcast. It's uh, Jonathan Miller with uh, Frost Brown Todd. This is Hemp Legally Speaking, talking about uh, uh, the hemp crop and uh, um, CBD and all of the uh, extraordinary uh, things that are coming out of uh, out of this space uh, and what it means for your business, uh, for your organization. Uh, I am uh, very honored to be uh, joined today by our guest, Amber Littlejohn, who uh, has become a good friend over the years. Uh, she uh, has served in uh, a large number of roles uh, in the, the cannabis space and, and uh, uh, in politically on Capitol Hill right now. She is the, the executive director of uh, what I believe is the most important uh, organization in the space that focuses on racial justice and equity. It's the Minority Cannabis Business Association. And, and um, uh, Amber, uh, welcome to our, our podcast. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. It's a, a pleasure to be here and happy new year to everyone listening. Uh, definitely a, a pleasure to be able to sit down and, and chat. So uh, we are um, um, we are launching this uh, this episode on Martin Luther King Day, uh, which is a special day for 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 all of us, uh, for our country uh, and for our industry as well. Um, uh, we can't say, uh, I don't think we have any evidence of uh, Martin Luther King uh, uh, endorsing hemp legalization. I don't think MLK knew what CBD uh, was, uh, um, but uh, certainly the issues that he um, he was famous for, for leading the, the world on uh, justice and the pursuit uh, of, of it, uh, trying to uh, root out injustices, uh, trying to promote uh, equality and equity. Uh, these are at the heart of what uh, our industry is about and, and uh, what you have been um, uh, fighting for. And if you could maybe uh, share with our, our listeners who might be new uh, to this uh, particular issue, uh, why uh, racial justice and equity is, is so important uh, uh, for um, the cannabis industry at large and, and for the hemp industry in particular. You know, I, I think I will take this, uh, you know, kind of start with, with MLK. You know, he fought and gave his life uh, to achieve in an effort to achieve civil rights in our country. And so much incredible work was done by the leaders of that era. And what we saw um, is after there was, after the civil rights movement and after Black people and other people of color started to gain some fundamental civil rights in this country, we saw a reaction to that through the Southern strategies. And one of the outgrowths of that is the Nixon era war on drugs. That's right. And so this is uh, really the residual and a transformation of, of the battle that he continued to fight throughout his life. So while uh, I definitely know uh, that religious leaders, especially Black and Latino religious leaders, tend to be somewhat conservative on issues concerning cannabis. Uh, they are not conservative on issues concerning justice and, and basic human rights in this country. And we know that prohibition has been used uh, to deprive people of fundamental civil rights. So we are, are working at MCBA along with, uh, and of course, through our work at the uh, U.S. Hemp Roundtable, the Minority Empowerment Committee, 
um, to really start to pick apart and address those injustices. So while folks like uh, Dr. King uh, weren't fighting for cannabis, they were really of the mind that economic justice was an, an integral element of, of really achieving civil rights and achieving equality in this country. So uh, the work that we are doing to economically empower communities through hemp and cannabis products uh, really, I think, is, is a continuation of the civil rights work that went on during that era. Well, let's let's talk about what you're doing at the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, because it's especially close to my heart. Uh, you know, when uh, the George Floyd uh, incident really um, um, launched uh, the thousands of efforts across the country to try to be more sensitive on these issues and try to figure out what what people can do um, to uh, make meaningful change. And, and when that happened, um, the, the leaders of the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, myself included, uh, the large majority at the time of, uh, of, of them white, um, the large majority of them at the time male, um, really said, what can we do? And and uh, didn't want to dictate any solutions, but rather wanted to go to the experts and uh, called upon you to help us uh, um, envision and to implement that vision. If, and if you could kind of share an overview of, of what that vision was and, and uh, how you see the U.S. Hemp Roundtable and the industry at large uh, trying to fulfill it. Yeah, I, I really have to go back to the beginning of the inception of the, the Minority Empowerment Committee, uh, because when you reached out, you were one of a number of phone calls that I got every day uh, from people saying, what can I do? What can we do? Um, what was different about the phone call from you is that you said, I want to make it meaningful. I don't want it to just be uh, window dressing, a PR moment. We really want to do something meaningful. Um, and with that spirit, it's actually been really exciting to see what we've been able to do in this short amount of time. Uh, one of the great things that I think has been a huge benefit to the community is our education events. I, I think so often when we are working in an industry and existing in an industry, it's we especially one that is as heavily regulated as the hemp industry it's really easy to disconnect from how complicated it is to break into it and to sustain within it. And so some of the really key information and basic information we provided on breaking into the industry, complying in the industry, um, has been really impactful and, and wonderful in terms of bringing people into the fray and making connections and providing some basic changes. Um, in addition to that, uh, one of my favorite things that, that the roundtable has done to date is really taking the time to create um, a tool that allows hemp companies to evaluate themselves and how they're doing on diversity and inclusion. This isn't a report card, this isn't a judgment, but an opportunity to explore within the companies themselves and to provide the roundtable with insights on how they could be uh, better supporting the hemp community in creating a more diverse and equitable um, industry. Uh, one of the other things, you know, the, the round table is known for being the advocacy powerhouse of the hemp industry. And so for the round table to include in its uh, legislative and policy priorities, um, equity principles, including doing away with the ban on felons participating in the hemp industry, and now finding additional fundings for HBCUs, uh, research and business development for HBCUs is really um, exciting. Uh, 
I talk a lot uh, lately about social equity 2.0 and that we are moving into the phase of social equity 2.0. And social equity 2.0 is essentially everybody got on board. Everybody who wasn't on board originally tended to get on board when in 2020, uh, when we had the civil uprisings around George Floyd. Um, but social equity 2.0 is really taking a look at whether or not those commitments that were claimed and those principles that were swaged were actually part of the policy positions put forth. And so the roundtable is actually very much ahead of the game and that it is part, social equity and social justice issues are now an integral part of the roundtable's uh, policy priorities. And that is something that we're looking to do actually really broadly in the cannabis industry is, is reconcile the PR talking points and the stated positions with the, with the actions and the policies. And um, it is definitely encouraging to me to see the largest you know, and most impactful hemp organization not only taking uh, the policies and bringing them internally and assessing the industry and assessing the organization itself, but to also uh, be advocating to federal lawmakers to change policy to create a more equitable industry. You, you mentioned legislation. I want to kind of follow up on that. We'll, we'll, we'll have shows uh, on this podcast down the road where we discuss uh, the um, uh, felon uh, ban repeal. Uh, hopefully we'll have Congresswoman Pingree come talk about that and uh, uh, the HBCU uh, legislation, which, uh, you know, is clearly something dedicated towards equity in the industry. But let's talk about the Safe Banking Act, because we don't normally think of that as a racial equity issue. Uh, and in fact, um, Cory Booker, uh, a phenomenal senator, uh, someone who is uh, one of the strongest advocates for cannabis reform, one of the strongest advocates for uh, justice and, and racial equity, has been opposing passage of the uh, uh, Safe Banking Act at the point, uh, claiming that we need to um, uh, tackle everything at the same time, and we don't want to just focus on something that helps the big banks and doesn't help uh, the the small guys, and particularly folks that have been uh, treated uh, unjustly in the system. Uh, your organization, like uh, the the, M the Minority Cannabis Business Association, as well as the U.S. Own Table, strongly support the Safe Banking Act um, because it is. Uh, uh, promotes racial equity. So can you explain where that, what that is and why there is this disconnect? Yeah. So I'll start with why we firmly believe that it supports equity. Um, the number one issue, uh, creating a barrier to entry for people of color into this industry is access to capital. When you're looking at larger firms, uh, they tend to have far greater access to uh, capital. They have access to foreign markets. Um, the general wealth disparities between Black Americans and white Americans is huge. So even if we're dealing from a personal wealth perspective, and if you're looking at the, the remnants of, of slavery and of the war on drugs and the impacts that have been total, uh, economic, social, health, um, we are not putting people on equal footing to enter the industry. Um, and so what we're seeing are a lot of predatory lenders, we're seeing predatory partners. And so for us to have a chance to stand up these social equity programs uh, and to give small businesses and people of color a chance at participating, we need to provide access to capital. Another element of safe banking is that it would help get the cash out of businesses. Um, 
in the midst of kind of the push to try and get safe banking passed last year, um, I was heartbroken because there was a string of robberies in Oakland that decimated the minority cannabis business community there. Mm. Um, there were repeated armed robberies. There were some businesses that were hit five times. Wow. Um, taking all of their operational cash, all of their tax money. Um, and so this is a problem that is disproportionately impacting our community. So uh, it is absolutely an issue of equity. The disconnect, unfortunately, is just simply a matter of politics. Again, we admire Cory Booker for being an unwavering champion for social justice. Uh, but the fact is... Um, the idea that we could pass comprehensive cannabis reform in this climate, this political climate, where we would need 60 votes, um, is disingenuous. So we are not going to get comprehensive reform. In fact, we now have 11 months, <laughs> 12 to 11 months to pass something, or we very possibly will not be passing anything cannabis-related, period, for years. Yeah, and that's a that's a great point because it uh, in in all likelihood, although this could change, one or both of the bodies of Congress are going to go Republican uh, next year, uh, and um, uh, there is a, a lot less support for any cannabis reform uh, among uh, Republican leadership. Now, that's not means all Republicans. There certainly are a number of Republicans and a growing number that are supportive of the industry, but uh, having Democratic control of both bodies and a Democratic president probably is the best uh, petri dish for any meaningful cannabis change right yeah and you know if i will tell you any day of the week and i think all of us are in this position if we saw a meaningful path to comprehensive reform this congress i think 10 times out of 10 we would all say take it no safe banking let's get comprehensive done and let's do this um, but that's not the reality so unfortunately safe banking is getting caught up in a little game of politics um, you know the senator uh, has a proposal uh, that will be hopefully becoming an introduced bill in the spring so we're hoping that maybe when that happens it will clear the way um, I know that Congressman Perlmutter fought valiantly and will continue to fight valiantly um, until he retires uh, next year. Um, hopefully he will get that. I have nothing to lose taking the gloves off for <laughs> it. And I will tell you that we will be right there to fight with him uh, and fight for him to ensure that safe becomes part of his legacy. Because again, he has been an incredible incredible champion uh, for getting this done. So yeah. we are excited. We are sad to lose the congressman, uh, but we are uh, energized when it comes to getting this done. Yeah. And that's Ed Perlmutter from Colorado. And he almost uh, brought down the uh, National Defense Authorization Act over this issue and, and decided to uh, not to, uh, based on assurances uh, of leadership, that this issue would be revisited. But uh, I could see you're right. In his last days in office, he might want to bring it down uh, because he feels this issue is, is that important. Amber, there are a lot of our listeners out there that, that want to do something meaningful. They don't want to just uh, say they're for uh, justice or equity, but but actually um, take their business in, in that direction and do something that is of significance. Uh, you referred us to the Annie E. Casey Foundation and, and uh, the principles uh, that uh, they have set out uh, for every organization. What, what other tools 
um, do our, our listeners, small businesses, individuals, uh, would you recommend to be able to uh, model Martin Luther King's works uh, specifically? Well, uh, to quote Dr. King, the time is always right to do what's right. Um, and I think so often uh, our, our country has become so politicized and divisive that it's really kind of morality and doing what's right has become muddled. Um, and people are often afraid, like, I don't know how to implement these programs because I don't know if I have the right language or if I'm going to say the wrong thing. Um, my suggestion is just to start, um, to look for resources, again, like the Annie E. Casey, to reach out to the roundtable, uh, to reach out to MCBA and other organizations within the community that are doing work to create equity, um, that are always happy to direct people towards resources to help them uh, create equity within their own business. Um, it could be as much as simple as taking the roundtables survey and taking a look internally on, on what you're doing um, as a company, or even just taking a moment in reflection to look around at your staff and your business. Are they diverse? If they're not diverse, trying to implement some steps to actively recruit people, um, having conversations on how you can better support your staff of color, and looking again for opportunities to uh, mentor, sponsor, and encourage activities, um, you would be so surprised. And I think the folks who uh, participated in our education events that we've done with the roundtable left these ev education events feeling really good, having imparted their wisdom and experience that they didn't even know was so valuable on aspiring or you know soon-to-be small business owners. Um, so again, it could be as simple as offering offering to mentor. Um, so I, I encourage folks to be courageous and not, you know, not let the divisive times that we're in today discourage them from being willing to reach out and seek the resources and seek the partnerships and be willing to reflect within um, because there is true value in, in creating a diverse and equitable space. It benefits innovation. It benefits sales. Um, it benefits just morale in your company. So there are always upsides uh, to having diversity and to supporting diversity. Yeah, and so we've, uh, we're running out of time. These discussions just go so quickly, it seems. But uh, share with me your, your thoughts about uh, what, what you think is next. I mean, we had such a, a wonderful coming together after the tragic George Floyd incident. Uh, a lot of people from far left to far right agreeing something needed to be happening. And, and more recently, we've seen uh, some backlash and, and uh, um, folks who uh, uh, think that uh, these efforts might go too far. Um, um, what, what do you what do you think is going to happen in the next uh, several years? Do you think we're going to see movement in the in a forward direction on these issues? Will the will the arc of justice bend uh, forward as as uh, Dr. King uh, uh, predicted, or or do we have more challenges ahead? There will always be challenges ahead, but I'm encouraged. Um, you know, I know that I have been working with other small business interests and other groups that are experiencing the same challenges uh, in terms of getting access to the industry, um, getting the support they needed, being left out of kind of policy decisions. Um, 
we have been connecting with veterans groups, small business groups, women's groups. And so if you are looking at the fact that when it comes to businesses, um, the plight of small minority business owners is very similar to the plight of all small business owners. And so there is so much opportunity for us to come together, especially as a small business community, and advocate for each other and to seek resources with each other and to pool resources with each other. So I really do see this next era of going of, of hemp and cannabis as us realizing that if we come together as small business community and even coming together as a greater community, this is how we're actually going to get those policy victories. Um, we don't have to agree on everything. Uh, in fact, we likely won't in some cases, but the more that we are unified and willing to work together, the sooner we are going to see a day when hemp regulations, you know, are comprehensive. There's no more gray market. Um, there's no more gray areas and there's open access um, and that we've legalized cannabis. So that day will definitely come sooner um, if we are working together to see it happen. Amber Littlejohn, Executive Director of the Minority Cannabis Business Association. Thanks uh, for joining us on Hemp Legally Speaking, but more importantly, thanks for all the important work you do to advance uh, the industry, advance uh, justice and equity, and uh, we, we appreciate that. And uh, folks can find you uh, on your website for the Minority Cannabis Business Association if they want to, uh, if they want to participate. Uh, to my listeners, thanks for listening in. We'll have a next episode uh, of this uh, show in two weeks. Uh, until then, uh, uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you.